Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we confess our deep need of you this morning. Lord, it's the same deep need that we have every hour and every second. Lord, we know that you love us. You've demonstrated that to us time and time again. Lord, we know that you have spoken to us in your holy scriptures. Holy Spirit, would you illuminate our hearts to the treasures therein this morning as we look at John chapter 6. And God, as we um, come to your word this morning, would we be like Peter who at the end of John chapter 6 makes the amazing declaration, Lord, where else shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And so, Lord, we come to you expectant. We come to your word to be nourished and revitalized. And, Lord, we know that you will do this for us because we are your daughters and your sons that you love. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, before you sit, wait. It's a little dreary, so let's do five squat thrusts. You ready? So you're going to try and get all the way to the seat and then back up five times. Ready? So... I don't have the seat, so I might fall. Ready? One. Two. The blood's going up and down at the same time. That's good. Four. Five. All right. You guys can be seated. All right. It's just, you know, I've got seasonal whatever that thing is. Sad. You know what I'm talking about? The light thing. Okay. Whew. That's good. So, um, this morning... We've got uh, a really great passage of scripture that we're going through. Um, as you're all expecting me to have a surf analogy because I'm a one-trick pony when it comes to illustrations, here's the thing. I don't have one. There's just not one there. And instead of forcing it, instead of me really wanting to talk about green bowls again, um, you guys have heard it. So we're just going to go and recap Pastor Brian's sermon from last week, which was amazing. Thank you, Brian. Um, Last week, Pastor Brian encouraged us to keep our heads up and our hearts outwardly focused. As Jesus fed the 5,000, he was testing the disciples' hearts to see if they would indeed see him for who he really was, the one to whom the Passover and the Exodus pointed to, and just as the bread filled their bellies, their soul's fulfillment. As we saw in the sign of the loaves and the fishes, Our ability to see Jesus in the midst of trials and storms and testing, it's often directly related to how surrendered our hearts are. I'm going to read that again. Our ability to see Jesus in the tests and the trials of our lives is often directly related to how surrendered our hearts are to Jesus. So how did we do this week? Do you guys have some opportunity to keep your head up, your eyes focused on Jesus? Anybody have a trial this week? Maybe Sunday night? A pretty good one that came through? That same trial, that storm, gave us opportunity to look out towards our neighbors, to serve the people that Jesus loves and cares for. Um, We had a tornado, a very sick infant. Um, We had... kind of a trying work week for both myself and Katie. So we had lots of opportunity, uh, which is a really positive way of saying um, we didn't 
do it perfectly. Um, that's the positive spin on it. But we come to this next story in John's gospel. So he's just encouraged his disciples to look up and out. And this morning, we come to John chapter 6, and you can turn there if you'd like. Um, I don't have it on the screen. So if you want to read it, you've got to pull out your phones or the hipster version, an actual printed Bible. So Jesus is going to invite his disciples. Now he's gone from teaching the crowds and his disciples together with the feeding of the 5,000. Now he's inviting his disciples to look up at him. And he's going to invite them to look up at him in the midst of both internal strife as well as external, external turmoil. Say that 10 times. So verse 15 is where we're going to start. We're going to back up a little bit so we can get some context. So Jesus... Perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone to pray. So we've got this crowd. It's a rather large crowd, um, about 9,000 people, give or take, you know, three to 5,000, depending on how you do the math. Um, they've just seen Jesus do this incredible thing where he took some scraps. And he made a feast. He took a couple of loaves of bread and two fish, and he fed 9,000 people. Like, straight up miracle. People are, like, blown away by this, right? They're so blown away because they went from famine to feast because of his miraculous powers that the mob mentality sets in, and they try to make him king by force. So before we march any further, let's let that sink in a little bit. They get a free lunch, and they want to make Jesus king. So Jesus isn't handing out large tracts of land. He's not handing out freedom. There's no raffle. There's no flat screen TVs that he's giving away. And they're going crazy in the right way. They want to build him a throne. They want to enthrone him king over themselves. So is it just that they were really hungry? Because as the Hawaiians say, it's just a plate lunch. It's one meal. Yeah, they were ill-prepared for Passover and all that. But it can't be that they were just, that they had their bellies filled, right? It's because they were seeing him as he really is. They have their Passover lenses on. They've seen him as a prophet. So he's telling truth. And they see him as king here as well. They want to make him king. Now, granted, they wanted to make him king in a slightly wrong way, but their eyes see him as king, right? Now, we've got the disciples probably thinking the exact same way. They're saying, okay, Jesus, this is your time to shine. You've got the popular vote. They want to enthrone you. Let's do this thing. Let's kick the Romans out. Let's do a military coup. Let's run this thing. So, um, what we see is that the people know who he was, but they missed what he came to do. The crowd plus the disciples know who he was, but they missed what he had come to do. So then we get to verse 16. So now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. So, check this. Jesus has a throng of people around him. 
They want to make him king. Um, and instead of stepping right into the middle of it, taking all the praises and the accolades, he's like, peace, I got to go have a quiet time. So he just leaves. He goes up on a mountain. He didn't have Jesus calling because he was Jesus. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yikes. So he goes on the mountaintop to pray. And he does this quite often, doesn't he? He's uber ironic. Like, no one does that in our political climate. When you get the popular vote, you're running for the podium. You're getting your fundraising set up because you want to take charge. And when Jesus has the popular vote, he withdraws by himself to pray. So, the disciples are sitting there and they're like, all right, well... Jesus went to go have a quiet time. Maybe he's going to do this like encore thing, right? Like, no, you guys don't want to make me king. No. And he's going to go backstage and wait. The pregnant pause, and then he's going to come in, and it's going to be awesome. He's going to do something really cool. So his disciples just sit there and they wait. And they keep waiting. And they keep waiting. At some point, they got to start to think, okay, how long is this quiet time going to be? Should we wait longer? Um, is he, did he like go around the backside of the mountain? Is he going to circumnavigate the lake? Did he get a boat that we didn't see? Um, did we really mess up with the loaves thing because we didn't have enough faith? Is he getting another team of 12? Did we just get cut off? Did we just lose our moment in history? So the disciples have no idea where Jesus is, and this makes them incredibly insecure, just like you and I would be. They're insecure, and there's an internal worry that's going on in their hearts. So, verse 17, they do what you and I would do we find the boat. Three of them are fishermen. They get into the boat, and they start rowing. Now, remember, they didn't know where Jesus was, and they desperately wanted to be around him. So they get in the boat. They don't know where he is, and they start on their journey. For us this morning, I don't know about you, but have you ever been in a place where you've thought, okay, Lord, where, where are you? How long must I wait on you? Maybe we've become impatient with him over something in our lives. And then maybe for some of us, we've actually left him behind. So let's keep that in mind as we keep going through the scripture. Now, verse 18, as they're rowing in their rowboat, the circumstances are kicking up. And Rembrandt did an okay job of painting this scene, he was pretty good at paint and stuff. Oh, wrong one, sorry. That's a Rembrandt. You guys just didn't know it. Yeah, it's a really obscure part of his collection. It's called PowerPoint. So verse 18, the sea has become rough because a strong wind was blowing on it. Now, Levi, and you can go back to the 
other Rembrandt. Um, the Sea of Galilee is not a sea. It's freshwater. It's a lake. But it's pretty big. And it's big enough that when winds whip around, that the seas can get head high or so. And then you can go back to the other one, Levi. Um, and so the disciples are scared. You've got some fishermen, but they're in a boat, a rowboat, mind you. And the thing that's outside of their control, the weather, has led to some external worry, some external turmoil that they cannot control. So remember, they're freaked out internally. They don't know where Jesus went. Probably more than that, they're wondering if they're still on Jesus' team. Did he just go on a scouting or recruiting trip without us because we lost it? Now, the weather has kicked up and things are going from bad to worse. Verse 19, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus. Now, where they were supposed to go was about a one to two mile journey, depending on how close you were to the shore. But the wind had blown them into the center of the lake, and so things are going bad. These guys know this lake. They know they're not in a good spot, and then they see Jesus. You've got 12 guys rowing. They're making no headway. The wind is messing it all up. So high winds plus a rowboat equals frustration and fear. Now, remember in our story last week, Jesus takes a couple of loaves, a couple of fish, feeds thousands of people. Then he instructs his disciples to go pick up the rest. Do you remember how many baskets full they picked up? Twelve. So in this scene, our disciples have their doggy bags. They've got their leftovers. The bread of life just hours before has done something crazy miraculous. And the hashtag right here is the bread's in the boat. They've got physical evidence of a legit miracle. And then a few hours later, they're full of fear and anxiety. But then, as verse 19 says, they see Jesus. They see Jesus. And our disciples, much like us, most of the time, they get spiritual amnesia. Right? And we'd like to think we're that spiritual, um, that we would see a miracle. We'd, we'd see the Red Sea part, and then we wouldn't do what the Israelites did. You ever thought that? You're like, you idiots, come on, man. We would do that. We would totally do that. We'd mess that one up for sure. Like the disciples, we get spiritual amnesia even hours after we've heard from the Lord. I've been in the back and received prayer and heard things, and then hours later forgot it. Been in my quiet time, read something, the Holy Spirit quickened my heart, and then I don't obey. I don't follow through because I get spiritual amnesia. They'd forgotten, like us, that they knew the bread of life, even though they've got bread in the boat, right? So they see Jesus. What is he doing? He is walking on top of water. You guys tried that? <laughs> like, he's not that, uh, you know, that lizard that you've seen on Discovery Channel that can do it, just because he's got webbed feet. 
and can run really fast. Um, he's not like this guy that's going to come up on our screen. That's cheating. That's not really what Jesus did. Like, Jesus literally walked on top of water. He suspended the laws of physics and of nature, and he's walking. Okay, so we've got guys with really insecure hearts. They don't know if they've been booted off the team. And Jesus is walking. And this is awesome. Like, what a day, right? If they had an Instagram account, their hashtag for the day would be, what a day. Because this is second miracle in one day. That's a big deal, right? Two miracles in one day. And there's this really beautiful piece here in our text. It says that they saw Jesus walking on the sea and he was drawing near to the boat. Now remember, our guys didn't leave Jesus a boat. They didn't wait long enough. And here we see Jesus pursuing their hearts. He's pursuing their hearts. Last week, we heard that Jesus is the king of the bread. This week, we see that he's overcome nature. He's the king of nature. And then for these disciples, he's also the king of their hearts. You know, he could have done what, what he's going to do in the future, which is just be on the seashore when they get there, and he's doing a fish barbecue. Um, he could have passed around them. He could have teleported himself there. He could have done this a lot of different ways, and instead what we see is we see Jesus pursuing his sons. Even when they left him, he pursues them. So he comes near to the boat. And for us, um, I think a, a good question for us to ask and to ponder is those times when we've left him on the shore when we've gotten frustrated, when we have um, taken it into our own hands, do we really believe he's the king of our hearts? Do we believe that Jesus would come to rescue us? Then in verse 21, the apostle John goes Captain Obvious. And he says, so they were glad to take him aboard. Can you imagine this? Right? They're in a storm. They're about to capsize. Internally, their hearts have probably already capsized because they thought they got cut from Jesus' team. Team Jesus. Whatever. And here he is. He's walking towards them. And he wants to get in the boat. Beautiful moment. They were full of worry and fear and anxiety, and instantly they've got joy and gladness. Now, what the text does not say is that Jesus calmed the storm. He's done that before, peace be still. I tried to do that on Sunday night from inside my house. I don't know if it worked. But here he just comes towards them. He pursues their hearts, and then he gets in the boat. And of course, they're full of joy. Now, Look at this next bit. And immediately, the boat was at the land to which they were going. Okay, third hashtag. 
Jesus just teleported us. So they had a one to two mile journey. They get into the middle of the lake. They're scared. They think they're going to die. Jesus shows up as soon as he steps foot to the boat. They're instantly at Capernaum. Like, what a day. Can you imagine? Right? Like, this is crazy. That's never happened to me. It's never happened to you. If you think it has, then we should talk. Um, Like, Jesus literally got them exactly to where they were supposed to be in an instant. And so for us this morning, um, what we need to see is that the disciples didn't row any longer. They didn't strive any longer. In an instant, as soon as Jesus took over, they were there. So one of the questions for us in our hearts is, where does Jesus want to do that for us? Because when we give Jesus the reins, he gets us to where we need to be, and he does it very, very efficiently. One of my uh, favorite preachers has an inner preacher voice, and if he were going to preach this, he would say it this way. If you get to know him, you can stop the rowing. Mm. Anybody got a hanky? I need a hanky. I just don't quite have it. So, and I know that about myself, but every now and then you got to try it. But that's how he would say it. Once you get to know Jesus, you get to stop rowing. Once you know the Lord, you get to stop striving in your own effort. You give him control. You arrest control of your own life, and he takes over. He knows the path. He knows how to get you there. And what a day for these disciples, right? Like, they've seen bread multiplied exponentially. They've seen Jesus walk on top of water and defy physics. They've seen themselves travel through time and space, I guess. I don't know how that worked. But he's been pursuing them, and he's going after their hearts. This morning, as we move to the table, things that we can be journaling about, asking the Lord is, where's God pursuing your heart right now? What circumstances of your life is God using? Maybe it's a literal storm. Some of us got hit by the tornado this week. For some of us, it's our finances. For some of us, it's our health. But what are those circumstances where God is going after our hearts? Maybe you're unsure about whether to take the left or the right fork in the road with your career. Like, do we have eyes to look up and see that he's pursuing our hearts in those things? Third question is, how are you responding to it? Do you have your head up and your eyes fixed on the Lord? Or are you doing this? Head down, I'm just going to keep rowing harder. It's the American way, you know. By golly, we're going to get there. By force and by might and by our intellect, we'll get there. Last question. In the midst of this testing trials, what does surrender to Jesus look like for us? 
Is there something that you're holding on to that you need to give to Jesus? Um, ladies, if your husbands went to ABOB this last weekend, the things that they're wrestling with, it's questions like this. Is there an old wound that we need to give Jesus the space and time to heal? Is there an agreement that we've made that causes us to live into fear and anxiety that we need to break off and have Jesus heal that? Maybe there's a call that you need to accept and step out in faith even though you can only see one foot in front of you. In John chapter six, the whole chapter, Jesus is pursuing hearts. He's proving himself to be God, king of the bread, king over the water. As he's stepping on it, he's proving his dominance over it, that he's in control of it. He's the king of the disciples' hearts. And so for us this morning, let's ask that question as we move to the table. Is he the king of our hearts? And if not, let's get all that junk out of the way. Let him board our vessel, as it were. The end of John chapter 6 is where Peter says, Lord, where else would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Jesus alone has the words of eternal life. Jesus alone knows where we're going and how to get us there and to do it efficiently. And every Sunday, we get invited into Jesus' boat. We get to come to the communion table. And what he asked of us, as Pastor Brian pointed out last week, was that we would come to him with our hearts open and our hands open, ready to receive his grace and his mercy and his love and his forgiveness. Let's pray. Jesus, you love us. You pursue us. You right our wrongs. You calm the storms. You put us on the right path. And Lord, I thank you that you love us. Lord, that you've demonstrated your love for us in so many ways. But Lord, as Romans 5 tells us, Lord, you've demonstrated your love for us in this, that you have died for us. So Lord, we come now to your table. We come now to your feast, which you've prepared for us. And Lord, would we be like the crowd, Lord, the ones in verse 24 that continue seeking after you. But Lord, would you give us eyes to see you properly? Lord, be the king of our hearts, king of our wallets, king of our marriages, the king of our homes, the king of our time. Lord, let us confess like Peter this week. We have nowhere else to go, Lord. You are it. Jesus, we need you. Thank you for the cross. Amen.